and welcome to the TES Magazine Debrief Podcast. And today we're talking about the issue out on the 25th of June. I'm Gwanya Hallahan and I'm stepping in for John and hosting again this week. And I've roped in the wonderful Helen Amas, our commissioning editor, and Kate Parker, our FE reporter at TES. Thanks for coming back, even after the meanest food quiz in the world, which I inflicted upon you last week. (laughs) I hope we won't see it again. (laughs) No, I've got a much more fun one this week. Oh, good. Okay, we'll so see. <laughs> <Let's> get... <laughs> we will. Okay, let's get started. So, the story we've put on the cover this week is one that everyone will have an opinion on the North South divide in education. John Morgan takes a look at what the stereotypes are of schools north and south of that invisible border and looks for some answers to the questions we so frequently ask about expected student outcomes and school experiences. But we've all picked three stories that particularly resonated with us this week, and Kate is going to share her one first. Anyone who has sat and tried to solve the problem of the learning catch-up quandary would have heard the idea floated, why don't we just let those who missed lots of school to repeat the year? Well, Kate is going to tell us exactly why that isn't such a great suggestion. Yeah, so um, it's Irena uh, Baker who has written this for us. And I think it was the um, the Education Policy Institute called for young people to be given the right to repeat a year um, in extreme cases of learning loss, which obviously we all know there has been a lot of over the past few years. But, you know, in, in, in a lot of other countries, students do reset a year. So um, the US is quite the common one that people know the most about. But France, Spain and Portugal, um, they call it grade retention. But um, Irena looked through loads of different research and evidence and found that actually it doesn't necessarily improve the chances of academic success and that it actually can have a detrimental impact on attainment in some cases and harm students' um, well-being, mental health and well-being. So there are obviously, and then obviously there are research on the other side, which says that it can be effective if it's kind of used as a wider package of support. Um, but clearly it's something that it's one of those things that people have called for, but I think it would take quite a lot to implement as well, actually, when that, this is not common in UK schools. Obviously, in the college system, it is actually more common in that they don't resit years, but they do take GCSE Maths and English if they have failed at school. Um, and there has been lots of research done about the impact that this can have on students age 16. Um, so I think as part of this, it probably actually is a good idea to if people are seriously considering this, look to the college system and see what the impact has been on those students. Yes, I think we, I think it's something that we all know, like we know somewhere inside of us that making a student do the same thing again is a little bit like that. It's insanity, isn't it? It's expecting something different to come out. Well, what's, what are you actually going to do to change that experience of the child? Helen, you've obviously edited lots of FE pieces. We talk about that that catch up year and the the um the struggle of students who do have to repeat their English and Maths GCSE and what you do with them for the rest of the time. Does it make sense to you that actually it's not such a, a smart move to make children repeat the year? It's a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I think I can understand why people would float the idea in in these kind of really extreme circumstances because um, where young people have missed out on so much the kind of logical uh, solution does seem to be, well, then they can just go back and and do what it is that they've missed. So then they haven't missed it. Um, And instead that you're kind of talking about, uh, you know, summer catch up and things like that. And, and, you know, I wonder if repeating the year is is actually more crazy than um, making students 
go through summer school when they are someone who has struggled with school um, in the past anyway. So it is, it's a really, really difficult area. But having said that, you know, there is a really pretty strong body of evidence to show that repeating a year does have negative impacts sort of psychologically um, and also in terms of their attainment in some cases. So it can actually not help them catch up, but sort of push them even further back. Um, some studies have shown um, the sort of evidence review uh, done by the Education Endowment Foundation makes it clear that it, it's, it's not a sort of uh, good intervention. Uh, in a lot of ways, not an effective one. So it, it's sort of weighing up that what you think is logically the right thing with what the evidence actually says. Um, but that said, you know, catch up is is such a difficult area, and, and and I just don't I don't know that there is a sort of really clear solution to it because it's something we haven't been through before in the same way. No, that's absolutely true, and I think you have to look for things that we can imagine would stay the same. So even though this scenario is really different to previous years, what what are the barriers that have made it not work in the past or made it not be so successful in other, other countries and other contexts? And what really strikes me is that social aspect. If somebody had said to me at school, oh, you've got to repeat the year, my, my enthusiasm towards that would be completely based upon where my friends were. Would my friends also be repeating the year? And if so, which friends and who would be in my class? Like, I saw school as a massive social experience and I think that's not that uncommon. And when I think about my time in the classroom when I was teaching, the, the importance of being with your friends and the disruption that removing people from their friendship groups, that has a huge impact on learning. I don't know, Kate, Kate were you the same? Yeah, and I think if you look, so if you compare it like to the FE world, so a lot of the kids that have to resit maths and English, they a lot of them are not motivated. They they don't want to be in those lessons because they see it as I'm stupid, I didn't pass, um, and they're forced to pass in the same way that these children would be forced to resit a year. And I think that can have quite a negative impact on their sense of self and what what they feel about themselves and if they feel like they're clever or if they're bright or if they're you know can go on to succeed and that's literally just over one class that they have in their timetable of you know they'll also be doing you know their bricklaying or their hairdressing or whatever alongside it to have an entire year an entire timetable of that I think would be really damaging and yeah especially when you see your friends it sounds silly but you know like if you get hold back to year 10 and then in year 11 you'd see your friends go on and have like prom and then go on to sixth form and do all those things and you think oh I should be there but I'm not clever enough that's why I'm not there I think that would have a big a big impact and does have a big impact in FE. This is really geeky but do you remember Red Dwarf? Do you remember the episode where Rimmer meets his alternative, like there's a, the universe splits and there's two versions of Rimmer and one's the one that repeated the year and the one's the one that didn't? Yes, I do remember that. <laughs> that is a blast from the past, Gronia. Kate, you might not remember no, that. probably. No. Sorry <laughs> showing, we're showing our age. Why have you done this, Gronia? When I read the article, I kept thinking of Rimmer. And these two, we can't ever know, can we? We can't know the difference between... What would happen? What would happen? And in the TV show, he um he's really successful when he's held back a year because it makes him tougher. But actually, then by the end of the episode, you realise that the tougher, cooler Rimmer actually isn't a nicer person, and the the one we've got is the best one. But that's beside the point. Essentially, we'll never ever really know what the difference is between one child and whether they could or couldn't because it's you can't do both. 
it's an impossible experiment, isn't it? We've just got to look at what works elsewhere and take our best guess. And it's it's a different context as well in the UK. You know, if you if you're thinking about what's happening in the US, they have a um, a context where students are also potentially advanced a year. You know, yes. if if they're so it's it's within this whole um, sort of you know you know wider uh, context which we just don't have here. So um, that's something to bear in mind as well. Well, I now feel more armed with more information to fight back next time someone makes the suggestion when we when we talk about it. So do go and read it. I think it's a really important aspect of the date, debate that we shouldn't ignore. Okay, next up, we have an issue that is getting lots of attention in the wider media at the moment. How to tackle a toxic rape culture in your school. Sophie King-Hill is an academic at Birmingham University who has spent years looking at this problem and she shares her expertise with us in the article. We're going to start off by hearing from Sophie with an explainer of what we actually mean by rape culture. The name itself can be a bit of a misnomer because it doesn't just refer to forced sexual uh, intercourse. Rape culture can refer to a myriad of different behaviours that are toxic So, for instance, things like derogatory jokes, misogyny, uh, image-based abuse, such as sharing of sexual images, upskirting, um, and inappropriate touching, name-calling, and the way that people are speaking to other people within um, certain environments that's derogatory in terms of sexual behaviour. So, rape culture refers to the normalisation and tolerance of these behaviours within wider society and, and veers more towards a victim blaming situation. Um, and it's this normalisation and tolerance that needs to be challenged. Term rape culture has been around for many years, but it's just come to the forefront lately due to um, a few things that are happening in contemporary culture, such as the Me Too movement. And uh, very recently, the Everyone's Invited website, which um, has invited young people to share their stories and their testimonials in terms of adverse sexual behaviour that they've experienced within uh, the school setting and other settings. And um, since March 2021, there's been over 15,000 testimonials received on this website, uh, which has really brought it to the forefront. Helen, just how big of a problem is this for schools? So one of the things that Sophie talks about is is how difficult it is to get a really like a proper handle on how big the issue is. The data from um, the Office of National Statistics seems to suggest that the problem of um, uh, peer on peer sexual assault seems to be increasing. Um, and a recent uh, Ofsted review into sexual harassment in schools found that ninety two percent of girls and seventy four percent of boys said that sexist name-calling had happened a lot or sometimes to them or their peers. So that's sort of quite a huge percentage of of pupils that it's affecting. Um, But at the same time, we are seeing a a sort of increase in reports being made and um, it becoming a lot more acceptable to speak out about these issues. Um, You have the Everyone's Invited website um, and also just like you say, a lot more talk about this in the media which means that people are, or young people are feeling more comfortable to speak out uh, and raise concerns. So it's really difficult to determine what is genuine increase and what is simply more reporting, if you know what I mean. I mean, when we look at the data that the Ofsted report pulled out, 
and you compare it to other surveys that people do of um, adult women, it's not really that different. The experience that we see children experiencing at school is mirrors that that we see in the in wider society. So although there's been lots of shock and lots of surprise at the the high numbers, there's a little bit of me going, why wasn't it 100%? I can't imagine who said no. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it is obviously a really widespread, pro- widespread problem. And we know this, you know, we're all, all women, we know that it is a widespread problem in our society. And it's something that has become really, really apparent in the last few months. I think you've had some really high profile um, events, you know, you've had the sort of the murder of Sarah Everard and, and the protests that followed that. Um, all of that is happening on the back of the everyone's invited, like I said, the Me Too movement. So there is this kind of um, push towards uh, recognising that we do live in a rape culture and that this is something that we need to address. And schools are just part of the the, the, the jigsaw that we need to look at. You know, it, it's not, and I think Sophie makes this really clear in her article, it's not an issue that schools should be expected to solve alone. It's not an issue that schools can solve alone, but it's something that they do need to be aware of and to um, be sort of taking steps to address as far as they can do. Kate, do you feel as if you felt that shift in what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, but to, for women to tolerate anymore? I mean, that, that was one of the things that came up in the recent Ed Select Committee. Amanda Spillman was making comments about how young women who receive these messages We'll just sort of shrug it off as, you know, just disdain or, you know, that kind of, oh, the, how, how awful, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Do you think that that is changing? Do you think it's people feel more confident now saying, actually, no, that's not OK and you can't send that to me? I think it completely depends on the space in which people are. So I think when I think about when I was at school, there were lots of pictures that went round, the sorts of um, pictures that Amanda Smilman talks about. And as girls, we all just like, yeah, that's pretty standard. Just shake it off, like you said. Um, but I would like to think, personally, I haven't, I don't think that I can't see a shift. Um, for example, literally, I was like on the bus home the other day and I was on my phone and I got a thing through saying that somebody wanted to um, airdrop some pictures to me. So I didn't even look at, like, dare to look at the pictures. I just pressed like reject repeatedly. Um, but They're never good pictures. That happens. Never. It's never a good picture. It's never a picture you want to see, is it? No, no, never. You can just imagine what sort of pictures they are. But I, and I like, as a woman, I just press reject, got off the bus, and then carried on with my day and my life. Um, and I don't think that women ever feel, you often feel like, well, that's a silly thing to report. Like, what's the point? What's the point in doing that? Because actually nothing happens. And I think you kind of see that with the, the whole thing around Sarah Everard, like this outrage that actually so many women are saying, this isn't good enough, something needs to change. But then, nothing changes and I would really hope that with the Ofsted report that change will hopefully filter into schools and colleges um I think so much needs to be done around teachers having the confidence to speak to their students about it I think it's a really uncomfortable thing especially for male teachers to have the confidence to speak to students about it in RSE um in tutor time things like that and I think um Sophie makes that point in her piece that they need training on this this is something that really needs to be properly thought out and teachers need to be properly trained to deal with it because they at the moment they're kind of you know you can be doing the best you can but you don't want to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing and react 
and react in the, in the wrong ways, it's quite tough, I think, for teachers. It's really hard because it's, it's two parts, isn't it? It's finding the words. It's knowing what words you should be using to talk about it because it's not something we talk about very much. So often you see people stumble over their words when we talk about these kind of topics because there's a, there's a real fear that you're going to say the wrong thing or put yourself across badly and make the situation worse. But I also think it takes all of us to like reconsider our own actions and the part that we play in the, in condoning, letting things slide. Um, and, you know, people, there are the men behind and the women behind these, these actions in the first place and saying, actually, no, I've done that and that's not okay. And that's a very uncomfortable place to put yourself. And until we do that, then it's not these invisible, mysterious people who are the perpetrators here. It's they're, they're in our society and we need to work away, work out a way of how we can stop that behaviour that is unacceptable without alienating people and causing a, a further shift and making it inadvertently worse. So I think whether you're primary or secondary or FE, it's a really important topic and one we should all be thinking about. And get hold of the story. Please do get in touch if you've got anything about any stories from your own schools and colleges about what works for you or if you've tried using some of Sophie's suggestions and how it's worked in your, your provision. We'd really like to hear about it. Okay, finally, my choice is the third article for today's podcast and it's one that will make you both laugh and cringe because it's about dance. I don't care how good your moves are. I don't care if you're Beyonce level of dancing genius. School PE lessons on dance can be excruciating experiences. And this week's growth mindset is by Phil Math, who's the director of sports over in the UAE. And he says, no more, no more of these cringy dance lessons. Because why is dance such a source of toe-curling embarrassment? There isn't a good reason for it. We need to overcome our self-consciousness to embrace it as an essential part of the PE curriculum. And he's right, of course. Dance is a great way to keep fit and to improve mental health and to express ourselves. And we can definitely do better. And Phil says this is what we need to do. We need to do better in ensuring all students in all schools have an opportunity to learn how to dance. You know, I, I read this with the song in my head of the dance that I had to do when I was <laughs> when I was at school in year nine, we did a unit on dance and it was um John Bon Jovi living on a prayer. It's the most inappropriate song I think you can dance to. It's not. It was bad. It was I'm sure there's worse. I'm sure there's worse songs. <laughs> I'm sure there's worse songs you danced in school. Do you remember doing dance at school? Can you remember some of the dances you had to dance to? I remember doing a school assembly in year six where we um, all dressed up as zombies and did the thriller dance. Oh, that that's was, cool. That was one of my best days ever. So, um, <laughs> oh. yeah, I, I have pretty good memories of dance in school, actually. <laughs> Were you as lucky as Helen Kate? Did you get some good dance? Yeah, so I actually have got a GCSE and A-level in dance. I'm um, I used well to dance done. for county and all sorts. Then I went to um, my school was um, a Church of England college that was like a performing arts academy. So we all had to do dance, drama or music as one of our GCSE options. So I absolutely, when you, when we said we were going to talk about this, I was so excited because for me, dance is like the biggest thing I can remember from my high school and college experience. Um, I absolutely loved it. I loved it. And like, I've missed dancing so much during COVID. Um, so I definitely think, and I know it can be, especially if you don't feel you're very good at it, it can be such a cringy, um, scary thing, but 
there is it sounds like cringy but there is something really magical I think about having a really good song on being taught a routine and be able to dance and express yourself to it I I would really urge every PE teacher to include dance in their curriculum you're getting married soon aren't you Kate I am yeah (laughs) what's gonna be your first dance song we're gonna have a lovely day by Bill Withers Oh, oh, that's nice. I kind yeah. of want you to do a choreography. <laughs> no, we definitely would not be doing that. I think, no, um, I think, but you've just said what a talented dancer yeah, and how I don't, dance is. I don't, well, I wouldn't say that I'm I think, especially talented. I think you should definitely do a choreographer dance and you should film it and I, you should all get to watch I it. I think that my fiance would definitely have something to say about that. He is <laughs> scared enough about the first dance as it is, let alone a choreographed piece. I think he would probably wouldn't turn up to the wedding if I were to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well we don't want that to happen no <laughs> Helen did you have a first dance I did yeah um our first dance was um Emmy Lou by first aid kit it's a bit of a like indie choice I'm indie out to, there choice I'm gonna have to look that I up think John Servers is the only person who I've ever told that to and has been like oh yeah I know I know that <laughs> <laughs> But it's something, I mean, dance is so freeing and it's so, it's, it's the best thing you can really do with your body that, you know, you can do anywhere. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful gift to be able to give to children, to teach them dance and how to, how to use their body to express themselves. I think if you look at, if you look at toddlers as well, like our nieces and nephews love dancing. They're like two and three, you put on a song and they are dancing away and they have no inhibitions. They just go for it. And I think you probably should encourage that in all children as they grow up to kind of keep that freeness and that joy from it. It's such a good mood lifter, isn't it? That's the thing. Absolutely. And I think there's been times in my life where I felt like, oh, just feel like a little bit down, like a little bit. And I I think like, what's what's put me into this bad mood? Have I got myself into this sort of this cycle of feeling a bit blue? And it's usually because I haven't been out dancing. It's because I haven't been listening to music and it's such a it's such a release when you can go out and you can be with your friends and some of my happiest memories when I think back to like times with my friends has always been out and dancing and having music on yeah I mean I think it must be really difficult this time period of lockdown if you are sort of university age or you're at that age where you are always you know wanting to be out dancing um you know I would have just found it so hard I mean obviously I'm kind of I've got a small child now, so I'm in every night. But back back then, you know, I would have found it really difficult to not be able to go out and just have a dance because it does make such a difference to your mood. And, you know, um, it was a real kind of social thing that we used to do. And, and that's just been missing for the past sort of year and a half. I had a big group of friends at university and we used to always go out and go to like this, like certain nights in the, the, the clubs at the uni. And... Um, there was a big fight, like not a big fight, not a physical fight, but there was a falling out between the girls and there was sort of split into two halves and one half wasn't talking to the other half about, it was to do with a boy, it's always to do with a boy, something happened with a boy and we like, weren't talking anymore. And then Hey Ya came on and that was like our song and we all came back together and danced together and then retreated to the other side of the house. <laughs> was it a dance-off? No, no, no! Just like all came, all danced together because it was one of it's those silly fallouts that you know eventually are going to like. It's only really between the two girls that would really had fallen out, and everybody else had just sort of taken sides and you know we'd split. But we came and danced together for Hey Ya. Then as soon as the song had finished, we went back to our respective corners and like carried on with our life. 
The power of dance. Yeah. The power of dance. And and hey y'all, what a great song. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you for listening and do get hold of this week's copy of the magazine. It's a really good read and it's full of educational facts that you need to know. If you enjoyed listening to this week's issue of the magazine Debrief podcast and want to read more of Tez Magazine online and have it delivered to your door, subscribe now at tez.com forward slash store.